This morning's scripture reading comes from Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There is a centurion's servant, which his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord for us. Good morning. What a joy it is to gather. Man, we've almost got a full house again this morning, too. Uh, missed you guys last weekend. We were out of town doing a family reunion. Um, Sundays are my favorite day, and really there's nowhere else I'd rather be this morning. And just want to point out that what a unique opportunity we have. Like, never again probably will this group of people be assembled in the same place on one morning. So take advantage of that. Don't, don't leave this morning without making a new friend, um, because there are people here who need encouragement people here who need you. So um, let me begin by asking, any fans of American Idol, the, the TV show? Any, I, any Idol fans? Well, so this is the uh, TV show where, where uh, contestants, these are amateur singers, and they have an opportunity to hit it big. So they, they sing before a panel of judges, and if they're really good, I mean, it can become a national spotlight for them. So, th- so this show has produced superstars like Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood, Mandisa, and many, many more. Now, uh, there are also people who've gotten famous from American Idol for their bad performances. And when I think about the show, I think of the poor judges <laughs> who have to endure hours of auditions from, from amateur singers, some of whom are really hard to listen to. And so... Um, I think my suspicion is that most of the contestants who show up just get sent right out the back door. Like, thanks for your time. You know, I don't even know if they have a buzzer or not. But, you know, like the, remember the old gong show? <laughs> you know, like, coing, you're done, see ya. So I think most of them probably get sent out the back door. Um, a, a group of them actually make it on to the next stage. And then obviously it gets filtered down till there's one winner. Uh, a few of those get some words of praise. Like, oh, that was really good. We're, you know, proud of you. But rare is the time in American Idol, when an amateur contestant comes on and sings. And the judges, by the way, they're typically like Grammy Award-winning, you know, singers, like people that are uh, hailed as the best in the biz. Rare is the time when an amateur singer comes in and shocks and amazes and impresses the judges. That exact thing thing happened when a 24-year-old dishwasher named Alejandro Aranda walked in before the judges on American Idol. Now, I'll share a little bit more about him later in the sermon. But the reason that I thought of that is because of the story we have in the scripture today that Steph just read for us. 
in Mark chapter 7. If you have your Bible with you, please go ahead and turn there. That's where we're going to be together this morning. We see this, I would say it's kind of a similar story where a centurion, now he would have been a a soldier in the Roman army, amazes and impresses Jesus. That's right. Don't miss this. A Roman soldier impresses Jesus with his great faith, with his great faith. See, the man believed that Jesus could heal his servant. He was humble and said he wasn't worthy to have Jesus come into his home, but if Jesus just said the word, his servant would be healed. And the text says then that Jesus was amazed at the man's faith. And we know what the scriptures say, and we just heard it on the, on the transition video there in, in song. Uh, from Hebrews 11 and verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So here's the challenge for us this morning. It's very simple, but we're going to be in Mark chapter, sorry, Luke chapter 7, and we're going to be challenged with, will we have the same faith that the centurion had? Will we have a faith that is humble and honors the Lord in such a way that it's all about him? So that's where we're going to be this morning. Let me introduce myself. I'm John, thrilled that you are with us, and I am praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So are you there at Luke chapter 7? Uh, Let me give a little bit of background, actually, before we get to the text. But uh, Jesus, in his ministry journey, has just entered into this city of Capernaum. This was a city located on the shore of Galilee. It's a vibrant fishing village. It was a busy commercial center. People are passing through, trading. We can think of it as the Cleveland of the Middle East. (laughs) The Cleveland of the Middle East. Capernaum is this, uh, it's located on the, the famed Via Maris Highway. People used to travel that from the Sea of Galilee all the way to Egypt and back. And so the town would have been a really logical and likely and often frequented stopping point for people to get fish to stock up on their supplies, to help them with their journeys. It is also interesting because it's the home of many of the followers and disciples of Jesus. Like from his group of 12, uh, Matthew, James, John, Peter, Andrew, this is hometown. This is where their families live. So headquartering there, which which is really what Jesus did, would have enabled his disciples to have some much-needed family time, family connections, a sense of rootedness. Their loved ones are there. Like, this is their favorite place. And it ends up being a really central, important place in the ministry of Jesus. And so it's here in Capernaum where this episode occurs, where Jesus heals the centurion's servant and commends his great faith. And so I want to look closely at this amazing story. And again, there there is such a challenge here for us this morning. We, we recognize without faith, it's impossible to please God. We see this unlikely figure, a Roman soldier, who amazes and impresses Jesus with his faith. And so there's a challenge for us this morning in our own faith. And so what I want to issue this morning is, is three things that we see about this man's faith that we can apply and adopt in our own lives. The first is that great faith requires humility. Great faith requires humility. If not humility, I don't know what else this story really highlights. Because this is an individual who is a centurion. That means he had charge over 100 soldiers in the Roman army. He's a man of authority. He's a man who, when he speaks, people listen and follow what he says. They they respect him. They look up to him. And so here's what happens in the story. One of his servants is sick, and he sends 
for, he sends his servants to tell Jesus, go tell Jesus, we, we want this servant to be healed. Uh, so let's go to verse 3. We're in Luke chapter 7. It says, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. So when Jesus hears about this need, what he does is he heads for the man's house. Oh, there's a need? Okay, I'm, I'm going there. Before Jesus can get to the man's house, he's met with another group sent by the centurion, another group of messengers. So jump down to verse 7. It says, he was not far from the house, so he's almost made it there. He's, you know, he's on the street. He's in the neighborhood. He's not yet at the man's house. He's not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. Great faith requires humility. This man, who's revered, who's admired by many, he's respected among the Romans. Oh, by the way, he'd also won the respect of the Jews. You kind of see that from this passage, right? That's, he, he's able to ask the elders of the Jews. These would have been also men of esteem and respect. He asks them to run this errand for him, um, to deliver the message to Jesus. And it's clear from their words. Let's look again at verse 4. Look at verse 4. It's clear that they think highly of the centurion. Verse 4, it says, When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. And here's what they say. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. They say, Jesus, if anyone deserves to have you heal someone in their household, it's this guy. If anyone is deserving of you to heal them and bless them, like I know, I know you've been doing that for kind of some of the least of these and some of these people that we're a little suspicious of, but if anyone actually deserves it, it's this guy, Lord. You should do it for this guy. He treats us well. He respects our faith. He's, he respects our God. If it weren't for this guy, we wouldn't have a house of worship. We wouldn't have a place where we could go to connect with Yahweh and to study the Torah. And notice, I want us to, again, I hope you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 7. There is a sharp contrast, almost a, a word play, I should say. And again, the gospel of Luke is written with really the highest and most sophisticated level of authorship. This was, a, this was an intelligent man. He was a physician. There's a word play that happens here, a sharp contrast between what the elders say to Jesus in verse 4 and what we read of the man communicating to Jesus in verse 7. So the elders say in verse 4, Uh, This man deserves, you could even underline that in your Bible, to have you do this. And then Luke uses the same word in verse 7. What the man says, I do not, what? Somebody help me here. Deserve. We're studying the scripture. Yeah, thank you for your help. Deserve. I do not deserve. The man says, to have you come under my roof. What can we learn from this man's faith? That great faith requires humility. I also should remind us that humility and human come from the same root word. It's a a Latin word. In fact, uh, humiliation would also be another word that comes from it. It's the Latin word humus. And do you know what humus means? Not laughter, not humorous. No, it kind of sounds like that. It means dirt. Like as in, the Lord formed Adam from the earth, from the dirt. And so there's something really kind of sobering and grounding for us in that as we realize that 
we were made from the earth. We were made from the dirt. To be human literally means to be dirt. (laughs) And so the centurion recognizes that, that yes, he might be a man of authority. Yes, he is a man of influence who has respect, but he also has this great humility because why? He recognizes the authority of Jesus. He, he understands something. I mean, if you were part of the military system, pro- probably for those who are part of the military system today as well, you know very clearly the delineation of rank and authority. That's an important part of the system. It's like, I report to this person. This person has a higher rank. What kind of stars or stripes do you have on your uniform? So this is a man who is very well acquainted with that system, and he recognizes the authority of Jesus, and he speaks to that in verse 8. He says, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. So again, he's saying, I understand the rank and order here. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The, The man understands it. And so he submits to the authority of a Jewish rabbi, which doesn't make sense. Not, not for his uh, colleagues, not for the, the people from his neighborhood who are in his world. And yet, he has heard of Jesus. We saw that in verse 3. And he has great faith. It's the sort of exact opposite spirit from the Old Testament character of Naaman. Remember him? He was also a military guy. He was a commander uh, in the Syrian army, and he's the one that had leprosy, and he was very arrogant, and he didn't want to bathe in the Jordan, which was the cure for his, his disease. Bathe in the Jordan River. He didn't want to do that. He thought it was gross. But it's like the exact opposite with this centurion. He doesn't demand anything. He doesn't believe God owes him anything. Instead, he believes that he and his household are not even worthy of Jesus to set foot on the property. He is a man of power, and yet he feels that he should be the one who bows down to Jesus. He says, I'm not even worthy to come before you myself. Great faith requires humility. It's all over this story. Let me share a story about a a true story that I heard about a a visit that uh, a young American uh, student, a student of music, uh, was in Germany, and they were in Bonn and they visited the Beethoven Museum. And they were fascinated because in that particular museum is the piano on which Beethoven had composed some of his greatest works. And so this particular American student asks the guard, hey, could I play the piano? Like, is there any way, like, could I play just a few, a few bars? You know, like, uh, and the guard agreed. And so this student was, was privileged and blessed and thrilled to play on the very piano that Beethoven had written these great concertos on, so she plays the opening of the Moonlight Sonata. And then she mentions to the guard, she's very grateful for the opportunity, but she mentions to the guard as, as she's leaving, you know, well, I bet all of the great pianists want to play on that when they come and visit here. <laughs> and the guard shakes his head, and he says, Padruski, now that's a famed Polish pianist, Padruski was here a few years ago and said, I'm not worthy to touch it. I wonder how the American student felt. (laughs) Who had just been belting out, probably a very amateur version. The great Polish pianist says, I'm not worthy to touch the piano that Beethoven composed on. That's the heart behind this centurion. 
And what does it say Jesus' response was? He was amazed. He says that in all of Israel, he has not found such great faith. Among the the Jews, among the people of God, he hasn't found faith like this. And scripture tells us, my friends, that God honors the humble. So we know this teaching from 1 Peter 5. It's verses 5 and 6. Clothe yourselves with humility, Peter tells us. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor for the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And listen, I understand the temptation that comes to all of us, which is pride and self and ego. And it's so interesting, too. Like in our circles with our background and cultural heritage and growing up in the church that oftentimes it's uh we're almost like proud of our humility (laughs) like well listen uh i'm really the humblest person i know (laughs) like okay i'm a little more humble than you that's the temptation i think we want everyone to know how great we're i think i've even I, i i think i brought in a previous sermon a picture of me i was like maybe five six years old and my my mom had a shirt on me that said, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're practically perfect. <laughs> I, apparently, it was like my favorite shirt. When it, was, it was green. My favorite color is green. I think it was just the color. I probably couldn't even read. But um, we, we, we want everyone to know how great we are. And you see that everywhere you turn. Remember the scandal a few years ago? Uh, it's now known as the Varsity Blues scandal of 2019 when the super wealthy were paying for their children to be admitted into these prestigious universities. Like, people, the, the nation and world over who, who are at the top of their class are vying for positions, trying to get into these universities. And the super wealthy and super rich have this worldview and perspective that says, well, my kids should be able to get in there. Not based on their own merit or academic work or like, remember, it was like, oh, we'll say they're on the rowing team, even though they've never been in a, in a boat before. <laughs> They had this worldview that was like, I don't care if my kid has qualified or not. They deserve to be in this particular school. They thought that their children deserved to be there. And you don't have to look very far to see that same attitude in yourself and in the people around you. And so I want to encourage and challenge each of us this morning as we come to Luke chapter 7 and this story, this really amazing story of a Roman centurion who has a sick servant who's about to die, who sends a courier to Jesus to say, Lord, just say the word and he'll be healed. And how Jesus says, I haven't found such great faith even in Israel, that great faith requires humility. If you want to have great faith, and I know you do. If you want to be a person of great faith, it starts with humbling yourself before God and before others. That's the first thing we learn from the centurion. The second thing we learn is that great faith believes even when you cannot see. So the servant we understand in this story is on the verge of death. If something doesn't happen soon, this individual is going to die. There's going to be a funeral. Um... Now, I think about the centurion, and given his line of work, he's probably well acquainted with death. He's probably a man who has seen hand-to-hand combat, battle, 
and he, he's seen action. So he's accustomed to, he's probably, some, I don't want to say callous to, but familiar with suffering and death and loss. And so with this servant who's sick and dying, it's probably not the first time that he's been in this situation where he's about to lose a good man. But he doesn't want to lose the good man. And now he's heard about Jesus. He's heard about this man who can do miracles. And he had faith. He had faith. Jesus, I mean, this is this guy's worldview. Jesus can say, be healed, and my good man will be healed. So I want to remind us here, like, this isn't isn't a situation where, like, uh, he's gone to Jesus already in the past. Jesus has already healed six of his guys. He's just asking for another one. That hasn't happened. He's only heard of Jesus. We saw that in verse 3. He has heard of Jesus. So great faith believes even when you don't see. And really, that's the thing about faith. And sorry to not be very eloquent there. Sorry, <laughs> sorry to be, to, to be uh, putting that in first grade vernacular, but that's the thing about faith. <laughs> It is believing what we cannot see. We know uh, from 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. We know what the scriptures say, that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. So stop doubting God. Have faith, even a small amount of faith. And we're, we're challenged this morning to have great faith, but I would say that, that's, that's relative to where your faith was yesterday. Doesn't have to be faith greater than the two people sitting next to you. Doesn't have to be faith greater than that person. Growing in faith, believing and trusting God. And, and here's the thing this is the thing about faith it is believing what we cannot see, that ours is an invisible God, that He does things that are beyond the, the, the understanding of our puny brains. We say, well, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't this man need some sort of treatment? Shouldn't he be taken to a hospital? Shouldn't he have medicine or an operation? Stop doubting God. Put your trust in him, as the centurion did, that he can restore any situation. Again, this guy's on the verge of death. He can calm any fear. He can save the sinner that calls on him. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to believe. God, can you really forgive me for what I've done? Yes, he can. After his resurrection, you know what Jesus says to Thomas in John 20 and 29? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Great faith requires that we believe even what we cannot see. The centurion believed that not only could Jesus heal. I mean, that's, that's kind of at the crux of this. He believed Jesus can heal. But not only that, that he could just do it by speaking a word. We see, look again at verse 7. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And that's exactly what happened. We see that at the end of the passage in verse 10. Where uh, the, it says, then the men who had been sent returned to the house. And how did they find the servant? Well, he was healed. He was restored. Lives were changed this day. Why? Because of Jesus. And because of the faith that one man put in him to heal. Lives were changed because of Jesus. And listen, lives are still being changed because of Jesus. Today, 
Lives are changed because of Jesus, because he heals, because he forgives, because he restores, because he transforms, because he calls us to have great faith. Even when we cannot see it, we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm also struck by the fact that the centurion knew that this was a situation beyond his control. Like, there's nothing more I can do. And again, this is a guy who, I mean, he probably knew something about field triage. He probably knew something about, uh, you know, stop the bleeding. (laughs) But it strikes me that he has hit a point where I am unable to help this man. I am unable to save or to heal this servant. I need to go to someone more powerful than I. I think of through the years with the Reisner children and how many times playing in the living room, a toy or a ball or (laughs) multiple toys and balls would go under our couch. And we have this big, heavy green couch. Rachel and I were just talking about it last night. I was like, oh, this this furniture, we're so thankful for it. It's been been so rugged and durable and like, uh, thank you, Lord. This has been really good furniture. But it's heavy and it's big and it's bulky. So, you know, the kids, I I can't tell you how many times over the years, they lose something under the couch and they're like reaching their little arms under like, uh, and then they can't reach it. And they reach this point of, we need help. Papa, would you help us, please? And so my method would always go to the end of the couch and just lift it up, you know, hold it up and, like, go ahead, guys, get what you need. And I remember them being amazed at, like, how strong Papa was to lift up the couch. Oh, maybe, maybe that's why I have back issues. <laughs> just, now, just now realizing that, like, hmm, maybe that wasn't a great um, No, uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, I, I just remember, I remember seeing these little children amazed at what we couldn't do our Father was able to do. And boy, there's a spiritual application there for us. What we are incapable of doing, what, what is out of our control and out of our hands, we take it to our Heavenly Father and say, Lord, you are strong. Lord, you are able. Lord, you can do this. So let me just ask us this morning, is Jesus your source of strength? When you don't know how to handle the situation, when it's something that's too big for you, when it's something that's too foregone for you, is it just you're going to fret and you're going to worry and you're going to just continue to try to figure it out? I plead with you to take it to your heavenly father, just as this centurion did. Take it to the source who is able to heal, who can do that which seems impossible and is way beyond us what you can't accomplish on your own. That's just what the centurion did. He took to Jesus what he couldn't do on his own. And we know what the scriptures say, what Paul says in Philippians 4.13, that I can do everything through Christ. (laughs) Don't just stop after the first part there, please. It's not I can do everything. It is I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When we rely on Christ, then nothing is impossible. And we know that from the words of Jesus, that with God, all things are possible. And so as we consider the faith of the centurion and what we can learn, we've talked about how uh, great faith requires humility. Great faith requires that we believe even when we cannot see. And so trust the Lord with those things, even with the things that seem impossible. So there's one final thing that we learned from the centurion that I want to mention, and that is that great faith comes from surprising places. You kind of step back and look at this story and you just go, it's not the disciples. It's not an innocent little 
child who hears about Jesus. This is like a hardened, like seasoned Roman military guy. I mean, I don't, I don't know who you would put on the most unlikely of having the greatest faith in, in Israel, but like for me, it's probably this guy. This guy seems like the least likely person to have great faith, let alone Jesus saying, I haven't found any faith greater than this guy. He wasn't raised in the synagogue. You have to understand that. Like, he wasn't the guy who studied the scriptures. He couldn't quote the Bible stories or the Bible verses. He wasn't one of the chosen ones. He's probably not even a religious man. We don't really know that. We know about the Roman Empire, and we know something of what the Roman people did. And, oh, they did worship, I guess. And so I guess there was a certain amount of religiosity. But their God was their emperor, their leader. And so certainly not in terms of, of recognizing God, the, the one true God, the living God, the creator God. He wouldn't have had religion as part of his life. And yet it is this man and his faith that amazed Jesus. Great faith often comes from surprising places. Okay, I mentioned the American Idol guy. I want to come back to him at this point. 24 years old, washes dishes. His name is Alejandro Aranda. And he brings an original song that he wrote to these Grammy Award-winning judges, and I brought a video clip, so check out their response. What do you think of his guitar playing, Loris? <laughs> Man, can we get him here? Can we, 
I love the the response of the judges. The the one guy is just like, and the other guy is just like laughing, crying, like not sure what to do. And, and then the female judge says to him, like, "Okay, so, okay, we've seen we've seen what you can do, and like you're amazing." He gets the standing ovation. They say you're a genius, you're an inspiration. And so then she kind of like like tees it up for him, like, "So, okay, man, like you think you're the next American Idol." And you would think a guy like this is going to come and go, well, yeah, I mean, I got, I got what it takes. And, and this guy, I mean, he's completely undiscovered. No one's heard of this guy. No one has any clue who he is. But he says, yeah, I don't know. There are a lot of really good singers. <laughs> when a guy like that blows the socks off of Grammy Award-winning singers, and then responds with that humility to say, well, I, I'm usually nervous to play in front of people. And then uh, the clip is, is longer than that. You can look it up on, online. They, they say to him, Alejandro, we want more. Like, can you play more for us? There's a piano there as well. So he goes to the piano. He plays another song. Just Again, they're just floored by what this guy can do. He says, oh, it's been a long time since I actually played the piano. I'm a little rusty. <laughs> he may have been sandbagging there a little. I don't know. But here's the point. Great faith comes from surprising places. You don't expect this guy to amaze and impress these world-class, these, these are people who sell out stadiums. You don't expect the Roman soldier, the, the battle-tested pagan, to humbly send messengers to Jesus and say, we're not even worthy to have you come inside our house. But like if you say the word, you can heal this man. You'd think that the person who amazes Jesus is going to be like the person who has all the heritage and the lineage, you know, like, well, I'm a seventh generation Nazarite. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Levi. You know, we've, we've always been the ones working in the temple and preparing the sacrifices. And, you know, I'm someone who knows how to pray. I'm someone who has attended synagogue and I've never missed once in my entire life. I, I'm the one who, who I, I lead the worship services. I'm the one who, who teach the Torah you would expect to be, at least be someone who wore a cross necklace, which maybe this guy wore a cross necklace, but I'm telling you, it would have been something very different. <laughs> and yet, the great faith that Jesus commends in Luke chapter 7 comes from a very surprising place. And again, what was his faith? He believed that if Jesus said the word, his servant would be healed, and that's exactly what happens. Let's go to verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Such great faith. And it came from a surprising place. In fact, if you're staying for our Sunday school hour, if you're, if you're a Sunday school teacher, a core group leader, and you're leading the discussion, I'm not sure if it's on the discussion guide, but jot this down and ask this with your group, is where have you been amazed at faith from an unlikely place? Where have you seen faith from an unlikely place? Because sometimes faith comes from the most unlikely people. You know, we tend to think like we grew up in church, we've walked with Jesus for many years, we're going to be the ones who have the amazing faith, we're going to be the ones that God is like, wow, Yet I don't think that's always the case. 
I think, I think the amazing faith, the, the most surprising faith, often comes from the ones that we least expect it from. From the ones who are down and out and outcast. From the ones who are young. From the ones who just still have, have things they're working out in their lives. I've heard some powerful prayers from people who have not been in the church, like this one. So far today, God, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But God, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed, and I'm going to need a lot of help. (laughs) And listen, this is the good news of the gospel, that it doesn't matter what your background is, and it doesn't matter where you come from. That Here's what the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the good news, that Jesus and the salvation that he offers is for everyone, all colors, all ages, all backgrounds, whether we've grown up following the rules and in church or whether we've gone astray, and all we, like sheep, have gone astray. And that's the good news of the gospel, that he forgives us and he restores us and he calls us back to himself. In fact, as we dismiss this morning, our prayer team is going to be right up here in the front and be available. Come and meet and share your need. Share your heart. We'd be honored to minister to you, to pray with you this morning. Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed at the faith of this centurion. Did you know there's one other place in Scripture where it says that Jesus was amazed? So now we have two places, because I want to do a a full exegetical study uh, this morning. There are two places. We've already talked about the first, this place in Luke chapter 7. He's amazed at the great faith of the centurion. There's actually one other place in the Scriptures, in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus was also amazed by people. And it was also an instance of faith, but... This is actually an instance where Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. Because these are chosen people. These are Jews. And it's when Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. Mark chapter 6, verse 6. They don't believe that he was the Messiah. And here's what the scripture says. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So which one will you be? Will you be the centurion who amazes Jesus because you're humble and because you're you're an unsuspecting, surprising source of faith? Or will you be the amazing shock of the people of Nazareth who just say, nah, I don't think you're the Messiah. I'm going to intellectualize this and I'm going to rationalize this and I'm going to come to my own conclusion about the truth. Which one will you be? Jesus says, I have not found such great faith even in all of Israel. This statement for us then, I mean, it's like a neon flashing light. It's like something that just catches our attention and and pulls us in to say, have faith like this man. Be inspired by this amazing story and the good news of the gospel. Here is faith that should be emulated. Here is trust and confidence and, yes, even rest as we come to a Sunday 
where it's more than just physical rest, my friends. It's a spiritual rest. A confidence in the ability of God to do the impossible. To do what you can't do. And a submission to his will and his way and his plan and his authority in your life. And so I want you to hear this this morning. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, I want to encourage you to trust fully in Jesus today. To take Jesus at his word, just like this man did. Lord, you can do it. Just say the word. We believe you. We trust you. Don't lose faith, even when difficulty arises. Take it to Jesus. Just like the centurion did. Take it straight to Jesus. He humbly asked Jesus to do that which he could not do. He committed his servant, his trouble, his problem, his issue. He committed it into the hands of Jesus with his great faith. And maybe you're, you're sitting here and you're like, I'm the most unlikely person to have great faith. For whatever reasons. Maybe you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm the one who no one's going to expect me to come through with the great faith. Well, great. Because just like Alejandro very unassumingly stepped in front of those Grammy Award-winning judges, you humbly bring a smile to the face of God when you believe him, when you take him at his word, when you say, Lord, I am putting this in your hands. I am choosing to walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, how thankful we are. Lord, you've seen fit to reach into our mire by sending your one and only son, Jesus, as the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. We're so thankful, Lord, that you leave the 99 and go after the one that that when we've strayed and when we've gone far from you, you pursue us and you don't give up. I pray, Lord, today, that we would turn to you. That, Lord, you would give us faith, even faith the size of a mustard seed, to humble ourselves before you, to walk by faith and not by sight, even if we are the person most unassuming and unsuspecting. So we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the life and ministry of Jesus. We thank you that he is alive. That on the third day, by the power of God, he was raised to life and lives forevermore. And how we eagerly await your sure and soon return. So, oh God, would you strengthen us? And would you give us faith? That we would walk in your ways. Thank you, Lord, that you're so faithful. That you lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. That you lead us beside quiet waters you lead us into green pastures, that in you and you alone, we find rest, rest for our weary souls. We come to you today thanking you and embracing the life that you offer us with faith. We pray it all in Jesus' name.